0: Father, we love you, and Father, we thank you. Father, we ask that during this hour that you would guide our minds and hearts and souls and, and, and help us to understand what it is that you are, have presented to us, uh, revealed to us in your word, and help us to apply it to our lives. Father, help us to understand this concept of your kingdom um, in such a way that it becomes natural to us and that we can easily talk about it with others. We love you, Father, and we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen. All right, so we are talking about the kingdom of God, and we are talking about God as king, of course. A kingdom needs a few things. So think of a kingdom, and think about what is necessary to have a kingdom. Um, First and foremost, in order to have a kingdom, you need a king. Okay, so a kingdom without a king is not much of a kingdom. But you also need the king. What does he need? He needs territory. So the king must have what he calls a kingdom, but that is the territory that he has authority over. Um, Everything else is kind of assumed. Some things are necessary, some things are not so necessary, but uh, there's lots of other things when you think about a kingdom. There's lots of other things that are assumed, things like subjects. You need subjects, you need people, not a pretty lonely kingdom. If the king's on his throne all by himself and there's nobody else in the kingdom, Um, oftentimes you think we need a kingdom needs walls it needs some and when I say walls I'm going to I'm going to combine walls and an army because walls and an army is the king's way of protecting his kingdom and protecting the people in it and you need other basic things like food sources and so on and so on and so on provision the king provides for his people and all these things you'll see throughout the Scriptures when you think about God and His kingdom. He is the Lord of angel armies. You know, God does have an army. It's angels, and they're, they're fully clad with, with weaponry. Uh, angels, they have swords, and we read the Scriptures about how they battle um, and, and all these different things. But, but we want to, first and foremost, we want to remember that the Holy Scriptures... Obviously, you know this, but I just want to remind us. The Holy Scriptures are inspired by God, meaning God, as much as we can say that Luke or Paul authored these books and these writings, we also say that God authored these writings, that these are God's inspired words, that this is how he chose to reveal himself to us. So when we read in the Scriptures that God is described as a loving father, we must remember that God chose, he first and foremost chose to describe himself as a loving father. He wants us to view him that way. That's why he described himself that way in the scriptures. Well, he, he also wants us to view him as king. Because all throughout the scriptures, he chose to reveal himself as king. So we know that's how he wants us to view him. He wants us to view him as a loving father, but he also wants us to view him as a king. So if God is a king, then where is his kingdom? And the simple answer is everywhere. That's the simple answer. Let's look at it. Genesis 1:1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, as king, God created territory for him to rule over. He created territory for him to rule over as king. He spoke the spiritual realm. And the physical realm into being. The earth, the sky, the universe, and the spiritual realm as well. He spoke it all into existence and therefore is by default the ruler of it all. So by default, everything, the entire universe as well as the spiritual realm that we cannot see, all of it is his kingdom by default. Isaiah 66.1 says, This is what the Lord says. Heaven is my throne. And this is a place where he dwells with the angels, the spiritual realm. Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. And so we see a picture, if you were to try to picture that in your mind, we see a picture of him ruling over both realms at the same time. Where could you possibly build a house for me, he says, and where would my resting place be? And again, in Psalm 103, 19, we read, The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. So God has chosen to describe him as a king sitting on a throne. His throne is in heaven, and his rule is over all. But then he does something very, very unexpected, something that we would have never guessed that he would do. So let's read it together. This is going to take us back to the beginning. Genesis 1, 26 through 31 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed, this will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. Did you catch what he did? If not, oh, I'll come back to it, but let's keep going. Skipping to verses 8 and 9 of the next chapter, we read this. The Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he placed the man he had formed. The Lord God caused to grow out of the... Ground every tree pleasing in appearance and good for food, including the tree of life in the middle of the garden, as well as the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then skipping down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work it and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. So we read that God established his throne in heaven and rules over all, but then on earth... He creates a creature in his own image, different from all the other creatures he made. This is a creature that can relate to him, that can talk with him, that can ask questions to him, that can love him, that can be angry with him, that can rebel against him. This is a creature made in his own image. And then he gives that creature man and one, man and woman humanity. He gives that creature authority to rule The whole earth. That's his kingdom. And he is king. And has the right and the competence to rule the whole earth. But then he chooses to give that authority to man. To rule the whole earth. Um, Let's read it again. Just the one verse. Genesis 126. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. God as king makes Adam a king and Eve a queen. So the very beginning, he gives them authority to rule. He puts them in charge and gives them the authority over the whole earth. So therefore, they are now king and queen over the earth, and the earth is their kingdom. Now, obviously, they can't rule the whole earth very well by themselves, obviously. But they are told to be fruitful and multiply and to spread out over the whole earth. And that was the plan. God said, be fruitful, multiply, and spread out over the whole earth and rule over the whole earth. That was the original plan. But for now, let's just start. In in essence, when he was talking to them, he was like, okay, but right now, let's just start with you two. And here's a garden. Here is a manageable territory that you can manageably rule over. And so therefore, they're given the Garden of Eden. And Adam is told to work it and to care for it. And they are saying, okay, God's saying here, I know the earth is too big for you to rule over all at one time. Here's a garden. Let me see how you do on it. Let me see how you rule over it. And so, therefore, they have responsibility. They have responsibility to do what God would do because they are made in God's image. And being made in God's image, they are his representatives on earth. And they are to rule the garden the way that God would rule the garden. Everything is perfect, and they don't know any evil, and therefore are not a danger to each other or to any other creature. But God still gives them a command not to eat from a certain tree. Why? They're not in any danger of doing anything wrong. They don't know what wrong is. They don't know how to do wrong. They've never had an evil thought in their mind. They've never had a bad thought in their mind to do anything wrong. So then why does God still give them a command? You cannot eat from this tree. Now, it's been said by other um, pastors and people that this has been called an arbitrary command. I I don't 100% agree, but I I like the way that they're going with this, so I want to share it with you, okay? An arbitrary command in the sense of there would be no consequences for them eating the fruit. Nothing bad from eating the fruit would actually happen. I, I disagree because where me and the other authors view They don't believe that the fruit had any type of anything special about it. They don't think that eating the fruit instantly gave them knowledge of evil. I do believe that. I believe that God said, if you eat from this, you will know things you did not know. I I hate to use the word mystic, but there's some type of mystical sense about the fruit in the sense that there's a supernatural consequence to eating the fruit. And so God said, here's two supernatural trees that I've planted in the garden. You eat from one, a supernatural consequence is you'll live forever. You eat from the other, a supernatural consequence is you'll obtain knowledge you did not have, knowledge of good and evil. And I don't believe that God was deceitful or lied. And when we see that they really did eat from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, instantly what happened? A supernatural occurrence happened. They instantly knew good and evil. So we see that's exactly what happened. So there was a consequence, there was a negative consequence to eating the tree that was knowing evil, right? We would all agree there is a negative consequence to eating from the fruit. They know evil, they didn't know evil before, this is a bad thing. This is a bad consequence. But it still comes back to the question, why did he put the tree and give them the opportunity to take of something and be filled with the knowledge of evil? Why did God even present them that option to begin with? Because if he didn't put the tree in the garden If he didn't give them the opportunity to know evil Would this have happened? Would Adam and Eve continue to live and only know good? Mm, For a while We know that the serpent knew evil and the serpent came in So we know that there would have been an introduction of evil one way or another But why did he give Why did he even put the tree there to begin with? And this is what it boils back down to because Adam and Eve had to learn to submit to God as their king. God made them kings and queens, so to say. God gave them rule and a kingdom to rule over. But they still had to submit to him as their king. They still had to submit to him as their word we also always use in church Lord because see a Lord and a King there's not much difference King is someone you obey Lord someone you obey someone who has authority over you and you obey which is why we see the most common word used for God in the scripture is Lord He is one we must submit to and obey so why did God give them the tree to begin with? Because they still had to learn to submit to God as their Lord, as their King. And so the scenario unfolds. This is a hypothetical. It couldn't have happened because it didn't happen. But this is what (laughs) supposedly could have happened. God created a creature in his own image, Adam and Eve. Okay? He gave them rule and authority over the earth, and then he gave them an opportunity, a choice, to submit to him as their Lord, to submit to him as their king. And what they could have done was they could have obeyed. They could have obeyed. And by obeying and not sinning and not doing wrong, then God could have viewed them as righteous and by obeying and viewing them as righteous he could have let them eat from the tree of life and he could have let them live forever on the earth and be rulers over the world as he originally intended but we see that all humanity has the same problem none of us no creature that was ever made human ever lived none of us can obey perfectly we always fail to obey at some point or another that's called sin sin is failing to obey so because we've sinned we now deserve to be cast out from the kingdom we now deserve to be punished we now deserve death but god loves us so much he chose as we all know to send his son and what did jesus do that no other human ever did He obeyed the law perfectly and therefore was able to die in our place and impute his righteousness to us. So, we know what choice they made and can't be too hard on Adam and Eve because it's the exact same choice that every one of us would have made. If it would have been you, if it would have been uh, John and Lindsay, I'm sure the story would have been the other way around. It would have been me saying, Lynn, come home. It looks so good. You know, it would have been the man who gave the fruit to the woman. <laughs> but still, we would have ate the fruit. And so would you, and so would everybody you know. And if it wouldn't have been that, we would have done something else. But all of us would have disobeyed. So it puts the perspective, I was going to read the entire chapter of Genesis 3, but we'll just skip it. I'll just summarize real quick. Genesis 3, 1, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from the tree in the garden? So we see the picture of the serpent coming into the garden and the serpent trying to convince Adam and Eve to disobey God. So as soon as the serpent tried to convince Adam and Eve to disobey God what should have happened. Adam and Eve, who had authority over the garden given to them by God, should have cast the serpent out of the garden. (laughs) They should have told the serpent, you're not welcome here. This is our territory, kingdom, whatever you say, given to us to steward by God because all of it ultimately belongs to him. He gave us authority to rule over this place, and what you are doing is treason. Therefore, you must leave. And then, God could have come down and stepped on his head and crushed the serpent's head then. He could have. But we know, we know what happened. God promised one day I'll crush the serpent's head, one day, through the sacrifice of my own son. I'll pay the price you cannot pay. So we have the same, we have the same thing. We have the same authority. God, as new creations in Christ, as children of God, we are now, the Scripture says, co-heirs with Christ. God is our father and king. Therefore, we are, like I said last week, we are princes and princesses, right? And we have territory given to us. We have territory under our rule. If you have a home, that's your kingdom right there. If you have a a business that you own, that's part of your kingdom, If you have a responsibility in anything, you have authority anywhere, you are to use that authority the way God intends you to use that authority. It's not just a, let's work real hard and get through life and do life according to society's rules, and then one day God's going to give us a place to live, and then we'll live by God's rules. No, we have to start now. We have to live life in society under God's rules now. But we see the results of not obeying God as our Lord leads to pain and death. And so that st- sets the stage for the rest of the scriptures, where Jesus will ultimately come as the second Adam or the last Adam and live perfectly, a perfectly obedient life and then die in our place, accepting the punishment for our sin and imputing his righteousness to you and me. But just because Jesus obeyed God perfectly, and this is what I want people to get, Because this is something that I've seen a lot in American society today. Just because Jesus obeyed God perfectly when we could not does not mean that we don't have to, or we no longer have to obey God for the rest of our lives. And that's how oftentimes people will treat their sin, especially in in our society today. That God knows I can't be perfect. God knows I can't. And I'm saying that as your pa- I'm up here saying that literally. Like God knows I can't be perfect. That's why he had to come and be perfect for me. That's why he had to come and obey perfectly for me. And I know that I'm saved. You ready? Y'all need to hear this because if you don't hear this then the rest of my sermon you're going to think I'm a heretic or whatever. I know that I am saved by faith alone, okay? Faith in Jesus Christ. That's what I'm saved by. But I can't go from there saying, I'm saved by faith and I can't be perfect. That's why Jesus had to be perfect. I can't go from there and then say, step over here and say, therefore, I don't have to try. Or then to say, therefore, I don't have to try to obey God for the rest of my life. No big deal. I'm not saved by obe- obedience. Therefore, no big deal. That's what we do. And you know why that's what we do? Because we want to. We do that because we don't want to give up certain sins We don't want to change. We don't want to always do the right thing. We don't want to always be. We'll be put in situations where we know that if we do what God wants us to do, it's going to cost us, right? I mean, there may very well be people in here that you know that your work, if you do the right thing, it could cost you your job. And you know what? I'm not saved by obedience. I'm saved by faith. Therefore, I'm going to let this one slide. But see, we can't do that. We can't live that way. Peter and the apostles were told not to preach in the name of Jesus by the Jewish religious authorities. They were told by the Sanhedrin, do not speak and preach in this name anymore. And this is what they said. Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than people. They did not reply obedience is not that big a deal. Right? They knew in the New Testament, even though they knew they were saved by faith, they were not saved by obedience. They knew obedience is required. It's not optional, it's not it's not something that we can try to attain, it is required of me. And every time I don't obey, what must I do? Ask God to forgive me. Right? But it is required. It's not optional. Peter says that those who are saved and have the Holy Spirit, which, by the way, only those who are saved have the Holy Spirit. You don't have the Holy Spirit if you're not saved. And you're not saved if you're in the Testament covenant. When you're saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. Peter says that those who are saved and have the Holy Spirit are those who obey God as their Lord. He doesn't separate the two concepts. He says this, we are witnesses of these things and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And so he doesn't separate the two concepts. It's not, he's not trying to teach that you can be saved by your obedience, but he is saying these two concepts should never, ever be separated. That those who are saved obey, plain and simple. That God gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. And then John said, this is what love for God is, to keep his commands, to obey him. So John, the apostle who wrote his entire gospel of all you got to do is believe, and I don't even think he used the word repent anywhere in his entire gospel. He, the same apostle, said, by the way, I think a lot of people may have misunderstood me. When I said you must love God, this is what love for God is. Love for God is to obey Him. He said, You can't separate those. It'd be the same thing as saying, I love my wife, but I'm not going to treat her good. I'm not going to do right by her. I'm not going to do good to her. And that's what obedience and disobedience to God is not treating Him right, not doing right by Him. Because every time you sin, That sin, that disobedience of God, that is what Jesus had to come and die for. That's what cost him his son's life. That's what cost him having to leave his throne, come to earth, and die for us, is disobedience, sin. And then Jesus, he tied the two concepts together. And he says you shouldn't separate the two concepts. He tied them together. He said this, Jesus said, if you don't obey him, then you should not call him Lord. That's what he said. Right here, Luke 6, 46. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Jesus said, if you're not going to obey me, if you're not going to submit to me as your king, because that's what Jesus is, our king. He said, if you're not going to obey your king, if you're not going to submit to me as your king, why do you call me Lord? It makes no sense. Why? Because the word Lord as everybody used to always know, and we should still know today, the word Lord means one you obey. It's one who has authority over you, tells you what to do, and you must obey. That's what Lord is. So Jesus said, why do you even call me Lord if you don't obey me? It doesn't make any sense. He goes on to say in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But who? Who will enter the kingdom of heaven? But only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. In other words, he says, Not everyone who calls me Lord submits to me as their Lord. Only those who submit to me as their Lord am I their Lord. I am the Lord of those who submit to me as their Lord. That's what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven But only the one who actually does the will of my father Only the one who actually submits to me as Lord Only the one who actually obeys me But if you are willing to submit to him as your Lord If you are If you say to yourself Which I'm confident with every person I've talked to in this room Is the case If you are Like we all have We are willing to submit to God as our Lord We are willing to obey him. We are willing to say, yes, I will obey you. I will do what you want me to do. I love you. I submit to you as my king. I want you to be my king. If you are willing to do that, then when you confess him as Lord, and you actually mean it, then you will be saved. Why? Because you mean it. You always preach, it's got to be from the heart, right? That's another way of saying you've got to mean it. You got to mean it. It can't be lip service. You got to mean it. Romans 10, 9, 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, what are we confessing? That Jesus is my Lord. One confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. And so Paul writing to the Romans said, if we confess that Jesus is in fact our Lord, we will be saved, because we have submitted to him as our king. And so therefore he's going to allow us to enter into his kingdom. We can we can we can make this as a, an analogy and summarize it really quickly like this. It's being in the kingdom of God is similar to but Nothing at all like being a citizen of the United States. Okay? We understand we are citizens of a nation. We don't live in a kingdom. We're kind of unfamiliar with kingdom, but, but just imagine God, He has His kingdom, and He's offering an invitation for anybody to be a member of His kingdom. It would be like Him standing at the walls of His kingdom. And all the outsiders are coming to the walls and wanting entrance and being a member of the kingdom and God standing at the gate and saying, whosoever will can come and be a member of this kingdom. But the difference is, we who are born in the United States, we're automatically members, right? If you're natural born in the United States, you're automatically a citizen. The problem is, you're not, born into the kingdom of God through natural birth. You can't be born into the kingdom. You can only be reborn into the kingdom. Therefore, everyone is born outside the gates of his kingdom. And you must have come to him as your king to be allowed entrance into the kingdom. And Jesus said, not everyone who comes up to me and says with their mouth, Lord, Lord, will be allowed entrance into my kingdom. Only those who submit to me as their Lord. And if you're willing to do that, if you're willing to submit to me as your God and king, because it makes, and and the concept of what it means to come and worship a God, it makes no sense, the idea of saying, God saying, I want to be your God and you be my people, and us going to God and saying, I want you to be my God, but I don't want you to be my God. I want you to be my God because I want to be in the kingdom, but I don't want you to tell me what to do. And that's what so many of us do. And Christians, that's what we tip, if we're honest, that's what we do a lot. I want God to be my God. I want to be his people. I want to be a member of the kingdom. But I don't want him to rule over me. I want to do what I want. I don't want to submit to him. I want to live however I want to live. And that's the fallacy. That's what we fall trap into. So let me try to sum it up in one or two sentences. You truly are only saved by faith. But James teaches, if you say you have faith, but you do not have works, works be obedience. James says that faith won't save you. That's not real faith. James teaches us real faith is real, genuine faith. Real faith always results in obedience, results in obedience. Just like a real vaccine, a real vaccine results in you being vaccinated and protected from whatever disease. But a fake vaccine doesn't help you, does it? And James teaches us that. In James chapter 2, if you say you have faith, but you don't have obedience or works or submit to God as your king, he said, that's the same as what Jesus taught. Jesus said, you're just calling me Lord, but you're not actually submit to me as your Lord. You're not actually submit to me as your God. And so I don't want anybody to be confused. Is your faith real? Paul says to examine yourself and test yourself to see whether or not you're in the faith. And even when James taught, even when James taught that if you say you have faith, but do not have works, can that faith save you? James did not say, can those works save you? James still taught in that concept, it's the faith that saves you, not works, faith. My question to you, as I've asked so many times from this pulpit, is do you know? Do you know? Do you know, do you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that you are born again, that you are saved, that you are filled with the Holy Spirit, that you have submitted to God as your king, that you are a member of his kingdom, that you are adopted as his child, that you will spend all of eternity with him forever? Do you love him? Do you love him? Or do you just want what he's going to give you one day? And you don't really love him. You just love what he'll give you. Because there's a big difference. There's a big difference. Now, I, I feel confident. I've talked to everybody in here. I know you love him. That's why I feel so good when I come in here. We're, we're just full of people that love God. I love it. But every one of us, myself, included every single one of us knows that what we have that holy spirit that love for god that we have we know people in our lives that don't we do and so it's up to us to share this message that god is king of all the universe that he has a perfect kingdom in store for us and that he wants us to be members of his kingdom If we would just submit to ourselves as Him, submit ourselves to Him as our King or Lord, whichever word you want to choose, they both mean the same thing. Is Jesus your Lord? We must share that message of reconciliation with the whole world, starting with the people in our lives. Let's pray together father we love you and father there's so many in this room that know have people on their hearts that they love that they know are lost that are not members of the kingdom and father many of us have had had these conversations with them and we haven't seen the positive results we want but father I ask you to give us give us endurance give us courage give us love to never give up never stop praying because it is you through the Holy Spirit who actually works in people's hearts, who actually convicts us of our sins, and who actually regenerates us and makes us into new creations. So it's all you. It's all your work. You do it through the gospel message that you've asked us to share. So, Father, help us do that. Help us to honor you and worship you and serve you as our king. But, Father, also to gr- draw close to you and hold you tight as our loving Heavenly Father. Because you, you said you want us to view you as both. Help us do that. And help us talk about this kingdom with all those in our lives. We love you, Father. We thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy and precious and eternal name we pray. Amen.